0: Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal
1: of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. In this Sports Corner episode, we are revisiting hockey from an acute and emergent perspective. I sit down with Dr. Joe Robinson to get into the demands of hockey, common acute injuries, acute injury prevention, and a run through of how the medical team works as a unit through emergent situations. Joe Robinson is the head physical therapist for the Boston Bruins and has been with them since 2017. He is also an athletic trainer and holds OCS, SCS, and CSCS certifications. He performed his postdoc residency through Vanderbilt Orthopedic Institute and Belmont University, and prior to PT school, he served as a seasonal assistant AT for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Joe, thank you so much for joining me on JSPT Insights today. I'm so freaking excited to, to get into some hockey. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Chelsea. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I think this is awesome what you guys are doing.
1: We've already talked in a sports corner about hockey, um, and it was awesome. But I just we're going to take this in a little bit of a different direction. So can you just give me another quick like recap for anybody who dis- didn't listen to that episode on the demands of hockey and what those demands then like require from the athlete?
0: biomechanically, what I tell my athletes all the time is so you play a, a sport that's not natural. And so the biomechanical differences are, are huge. Instead of using, uh, you know, more of our primarily iliopsoas and rectfem to pull forward and our glute to push off and our adductors and glute to stabilize, now all of a sudden we're changing the dynamics and asking our adductors and our glute meat, glu- men and glu- max all to fire to propel forward. And so that changes things completely as far as Training in the off-season, preparing for a long season, especially in the NHL where there's 82 games plus playoffs. And then also during the season, what you're looking for when guys get injured. Our guys don't even run anymore, for the most part, in the off-season to train. We're very specific on cardio as far as uh, using an aerodyne wind bike in order to get endurance. We do some shuttle runs, but not much anymore. And a lot of circuit-based training for that. Now, you take those altered biomechanics skate let's call it on the ice and then you add in the sport itself which is a physical sport where there's checking there's hitting there there's a lot of you know physicality while you're trying to track a puck or skate to try to get a puck and shoot a puck like a field sport so it's a lot that comes all together at once it's a different breed and it's a very special sport as far as everything combined and, and how it works together
1: Chronic injuries because we're not moving the way we were intended to. And then also a lot of acute. So I wanted to dive into the acute stuff today. What are the most common acute injuries that you see in hockey and how do they happen?
0: I would say the most acute is going to be contusions, not from just checking, but from getting hit by a puck constantly from the net. Goalies get paid a lot of money to stop the pucks. However, the pride in hockey is to try to get it before the goalie gets it. So we get a lot of guys blocking pucks off their shins, off their feet off their body and if that puck hits an area that's either not very well padded or doesn't have padding at all we have a high incidence of fractures bone bruises or just contusions that make it really difficult to perform their job one fracture that if you work hockey you've heard about and you've seen plenty of times is navicular fractures pretty common just a puck going and hitting the navicular tubercle in the boot that's what happens all the time and then on top of that we have if you look at the shoulder the two biggest ones are going to be our AC joint sprints for being hit in the boards usually, and also shoulder subluxations and, and dislocations. And that's usually from not the hit itself, but falling on the ice with the arm outstretched and landing on it, and it just popping out anteriorly for the most part. We also get some posterior subluxations and, and not really dislocations, but mostly subluxations from cross-checking, which is illegal, but we, players do it still, or just fighting where the they hit something hard and then acutely for the, the hips and groins, which are the bread and butter of a, a hockey AT or PT, a lot of groin strains, uh, a lot of FAI, which is more chronic, but acutely you're dealing with it a lot for flare-ups. More than 60% have an anterior introversion uh, of their acetabulum, which is kind of a subversion of pincer impingement. So you're looking at abnormal bone canks from the get-go that can get flared up pretty easily because of the narrow joint space.
1: Yeah, you guys and soccer players, man, just, whew, that's a tricky pelvis right there. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, you grow to love it, that's for sure. you, you, you get <laughs> it enough where you, you're either good when you come in or you get good at it, I guess.
1: So a lot of falling injuries and things hitting you kind of injuries. Is there any way to prevent these acute injuries? Like, is there anything that you guys do for prevention of them? Or is there just, that's just hockey? I
0: guess we go back to all the injuries I talked about. So the bumps versus contusions. There's skate guards, right? There's a lot of companies that make different kinds of skate guards. The NHL mandates that posted in every room, there's a chart that shows every skate and how well it is at stopping pucks. They do a lot of studies with that for equipment, but we can custom make skate guards over someone's skate. The problem is a lot of guys in the NHL just don't like the look of them or they just feel too heavy. Everything's trying to be in nowadays, especially in every sport, is as light as possible so they can move as fast as possible. The game's so fast now, being fast is the most important thing. So we try to get guys on those shot blockers. If we can't proactively do it, then usually, or not usually, every single time, if you break your foot at some point, if you get a bad bone contusion, we're always working on modifying equipment in order to protect them and not get a second hit there, especially when they're returning. Because we've seen lightning strike twice many a times and bite us a little bit. So we don't want that to happen over and over again. Shoulder injuries, AC joints are going to happen. You get hit in the boards and it's just, you're unlucky. That's every sport. It's football, it's hockey. Shoulder dislocation subluxations. In the preseason, we do a lot of screens, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, and a little bit about injury prevention that way. But we try to get their cuff as strong as humanly possible, right? And we're working on guys, especially with if their history tells us they've had a, a history of subluxations in the past, whether they're in juniors, college, or wherever they're coming from. That's a pretty good sign, and we test their strength of their shoulder. And if any of those are off, we just start them on a cuff stru- program right away to try to get them strong as possible so they can endure the season. And then for groin, same thing. We we do hip strength testing, groin testing, strength testing at sixty degrees of uh, hip ab or hip flexion. And then we also do for like a glute med kendall test, like MMT test. That's classic, great, right? in order to see their glute med strength specifically glute med movement. And then we look at their hip range of motion as well. When we're looking at the hip range of motion, again, we talked about how there's, you know, an acetabular retroversion. These guys skate for a living. So their hips, you know, kind of twist over time on each other, just like a baseball pitcher's arm. So our hockey guys have usually more external rotation than most people and less internal rotation than most people, besides goalies who their position requires them to have really, really a great amount of internal rotation. When we look at that, we're always looking at total arc. And not just internal versus external range of motion. We still look at those. We document them. There's a criteria we kind of want their numbers to be at for internal and external. But total arc of 80 to 90 degrees tells us like, hey, if this person has 25 degrees of internal rotation, but their total arc is 90 degrees, we're not going to go in there and just crank on their internal rotation as much as possible because it's probably a bony impingement and we don't want to flare them up. want to do more harm than good.
1: Yeah, I know that that cranking an in internal is like a you're like wishing for something. It's not going to happen. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. And you know, a lot, of our, a lot of our players, they have, they have FAI. I mean, the, the, the amazing part about any professional sport and I specifically, I'm talking about the NHL cause that's where I work is we're dealing with this year. We have our youngest kids, 19 years old. And then our oldest player is around 36, right? So you get this huge spectrum of age differences. And we, a 19 year old, we always joke like, Oh, they shouldn't be in the training room because they should be, you know, they, their movement should be flawless. They, they have young joints. They're moving around and then you get the 36-year-old who's played hockey, especially in the NHL, for that long. And now you're just trying to trying to keep whatever they have. You're not trying to really increase a ton of internal rotation and external rotation. They have bony impingements. They have a lot of these comorbidities these comorbidities that you're working on. And so you're really just trying to maintain what they have and their function because they're performing an extremely high level so and they're really good at it. And you just don't want something to limit them in any way. We have a 23-man roster in the NHL, and the amount of healthcare staff that we have is tremendous, starting with our orthopedic surgeons, our head team team physicians, our internists, our dentists. So we have to have an ortho internist or family medicine doctor and a dentist and an ER doc at every single all 82. Um, they don't travel with us. Our the visiting team or the home team is always taking care of the visiting team while you're on the road. On top of that, we have a lot of consultant doctors that we work with. Luckily, we're here in Boston, MGH, amazing hospital, a lot of true professionals there. So getting appointments and getting people they you trust is, is pretty easy around here. And then as far as our training room ourselves, we have myself, who's a PT, AT. We have a head athletic trainer. We have an assistant physical therapist. We have another physical therapist that comes in from MGH, who's a tremendous help, especially when we travel, he can stay home with the injured guys, the long-term injured guys. We have another massage therapist that's part-time that comes in. We have two chiropractors that come in six days a month, a lot of people to take care of these athletes, which is, you know, it's it's amazing for us and for the athlete itself. And so when acute care happens, we all have our certain roles that we play. So if someone is on the ice, let's say they went, slid into the boards and their skate hit the boards first caused... Kind of a high ankle mechanism that was such a high velocity, it fractured their fibula. So the first person on the scene on the ice at all times is, unless it's emergent and it's right in front of me, is Dustin Stuck. Me and Dustin, our athletic trainer, are both on the bench for every game. He'll go on the ice and tend to the athlete and get the very, very acute care situation handled. So you'll talk to the athlete, decide how we're going to get them off the ice, which is very important. Are you going to be able to, do you need to spine on board them? Is there a... Suspicion of fracture of their spine, are you going to help them up and have them skate on one foot over with another teammate around, or do you need help from other medical professionals out there? So we have certain signs we use when he goes on the ice to get the athlete off. Once the athlete comes off the ice, I will grab the athlete and I will bring them down the tunnel and into the training room for evaluation. Dustin will always go back on the bench because there's always going to be a second incident. The game doesn't stop, right? The guy gets injured, game goes on. So he's on the bench at all times, just in case another person goes down, he can go on the ice. And then we have our assistant PT there in order to take them to the back room. So we'll always have one person on the bench in case anything happens. Once we get them back, we have our ortho look at him with myself and determine his return to play status. At that very instant, we're looking at after we've determined it's not life or death. Now it's what's the injury and is this something that they can't play with or not? So in the instance of a fractured fibula, we get their skate off, we look, we see it. We have an x-ray machine at our facility that we can go to right away and get pictures if we need to, to make sure or confirm our suspicion of a fracture. And then we get them in a walking boot. We ice it down. I know ice is very controversial. Nowadays, whether to ice or not to ice, I think breaking the pain spasm pain cycle and numbing it as fast as possible is, if you've ever hurt yourself, that's like the best sensation in the world and so i'm all about ice and getting on as soon as possible i think that far outweighs just having more blood come to the area and possibly increase swelling especially for an injury that's gonna last a long time right fractured fibula you're not coming back in days it's it's weeks on um, possible surgery if it's displaced so get them as comfortable as possible so we'll have them in a walking boot crutches and so kind of, that's kind of like the night of acute care we're not doing too much I, i've learned Early in my career, that doing too much too early usually has usually can slow it down rather than speed it up. And then from there on out, we're taking care you know of our order of operations. The first thing we're looking at is swelling and inflammation. we have to get that out right away. And as an acute care specialist and someone who works with a lot of acute injuries, like that's where your mindset should be is how do I get this swelling out as fast as possible? because when the swelling gets out, they'll be able to function more. With the swelling in there, it's going to shut off all the musculature. They're not going to be able to move very well. Exercises aren't going to be really worth doing if you're trying to do them for strength and power. So it's non-displaced. The first thing we're doing, we use different modalities, such as Hibimat, which is a vibration technology and also a, a electrical technology that kind of moves swelling out of there. We're doing a light massage, effleurage. Our massage therapist does a lot of like lymph drainage stuff to get it out of there, which is perfect for us. And then once the swelling's finally gone down or gone away, we're doing more range of motion exercises. And again, this isn't like we're swelling's gone. Now we start range of motion. That's better. Now we start strength. It's all kind of combining together and flowing together. But that's kind of where our next mindset is, is now we go from that to, to range of motion, again, the range back, range of motion, strengthening strength to power, power to return to play. So that's kind of the the phases that we go through for the acute care. A
1: couple of things. One, that you guys have like a system, obviously, every pro team is going to have this. Every team is going to have this. Like there's a system in place, but expert's going to take care of that. He's the head at AT. He's going to be out there. And it's it, it, life or death. And then can he play? <laughs> I love that those are the first two. <laughs> it's just a little funny. Um, and then uh, like the, the too much too early. I want to hit on that too. I think that's just so important. Like it's just, you. sometimes you just like a, as sports PTs, we get super excited about like, okay, let's get him back as fast as we can. But like, there is just a moment where you just have to just chill for a second let it be quiet and let it calm down and i think that's really important
0: i was always told by a mentor and i was working in rounds as athletic trainer and they came to me and they said joe just remember that you don't heal anybody the body heals itself you're just facilitating that healing and so with that as my mindset it's always if someone comes in and they have you know something going on whether that's you know my back's killing me today if I go and I do two hours straight of treatment, nonstop soft tissue, you know, joint manipulation, uh, joint mobilizations, modalities, I'm doing all this stuff. There's a high chance I'm going to make them sore, irritated, because I've done so much to them in that one specific area. It's different if I'm treating them, you know, with low back pain. I'm also working on their hips and I'm working in different regions, but just focusing on one region and just like basically yelling at it to like, get better over one day. Like it's not going to. It's not going to be as as efficient. It's not going to be as good of outcomes as you possibly could have. Because again, you have to remember, like the back, you're just facilitating the healing. You're not trying to heal it. Doing a good evaluation, examination, clinical reasoning, those are the biggest things. Because if you get the wrong diagnosis, you're already behind. And if you get the wrong clinical reasoning and you start doing things that maybe you shouldn't do with that athlete based on how they present, you're going to be behind too. So if you want to get ahead, Those two things, and I tell our staff this all the time like, those are the biggest things you can do. And I think young PTs and young ATs, healthcare professionals in general, they want to, you know, they come in, they want to do drangling. They want to learn that right away. They want to learn maybe McKenzie. They want to learn ART. They want to learn PRI. They want to learn FRC. I mean, there's so many things out there that are skill based, which is great. And it's phenomenal to have those skills. But if you don't have the clinical reasoning and you're not doing it for the right reasons, then it's never going to be as good as it should be. And it's never going to be as efficient as it should be. So I think more young practitioners need to come out and be like, no, I want to get better at clinical reasoning first. And then all the other skill sets will follow. Because so if you have a good clinical reasoning, there's a million ways to loosen up a tissue that's taught. There's you know a million ways to get range of motion for an athlete. It's not just one technique. But when you don't have a clinical reasoning, you only have one technique. If that technique fails and it doesn't work for an athlete, well, now all of a sudden you have no idea what to do.
1: Yeah, you know, it's just I feel like I, I don't know. I feel like this was my whole PT school where there, you know, sometimes it's just like the simple stuff. Like you have to be good at the simple stuff first. Thank you for that. That's great insight for anybody who who you know hasn't been out there, who isn't like a you know a SCS or a PTETC. Kind of get a little bit insight of that. Um, is there anything else that you want to share as a hockey expert to anybody out there in the Ooh. clinic and any rehab professional like? treating hockey athletes that you'd want to, any like pearls of advice that you want to share with them?
0: So I think as a young practitioner, so I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, at least that's where I went to college. I'm from Michigan area. And I get, you know, people quite a bit, you know, students who are still in school or just graduated and they want to know like how I got to the NHL or how they could be a professional hockey athletic trainer or a professional hockey physical therapist. And they want to go right away like, hey, can I do observations with the Bruins? Can I go right away and, and do this? And I have conversations with a lot of them. And a lot of them, like they want to kind of like they're from Boston. And so they want to work with the Bruins because that's their dream job as the team they they grew up watching. I think the biggest thing is you have to take any opportunity that comes with it. And we were talking before the show about both of us as far as personal, how we've kind of moved around to a lot of places in order to gain the experience and get to where we wanted to get to. For myself, going from PT school or actually athletic training school at Grand Valley State University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, going and working as a season-long assistant with Kansas City Chiefs, going back to PT school at Grand Valley State, doing my postdoc residency at Vanderbilt and coming to the Bruins, like that's five stops in different areas and kind of just not saying no to an opportunity and just, you know, taking it by the horns and going and and doing what I needed to do that felt like it prepared me for the position I wanted to get to. The skipping steps is hard. I mean, sometimes it happens. Some people walk out and they just get the opportunity they want to right away, but it, it's a lot of hard work and dedication. It's not something where you just, you know, kind of shadow and all of a sudden you get a position. You, you really have to move around. There's not many jobs out there for sports PTs. It's a lot easier to get an outpatient ortho clinic position or uh, home health or acute care hospital course, physical therapy is a
1: niche field.
0: And so the more experience you can get, the better.
1: Yeah, that's great insight. Thanks, Joe. Okay. Well, hey, thank you so much for sharing all of your hockey expertise with us, with the world of rehab clinicians. Uh, we really appreciate it.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me. One last time, we just want to thank Dr. Joe Robinson for sitting down and sharing his experience with us and all of you. And as always, we want to thank you for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher,